This is Look West, a podcast from California's Assembly Democrats. Inside the California State Assembly's ornate chambers, the dedication to excellence among Asian and Pacific Islanders in California was on display. The honoree for excellence in civil rights is Stuart Kuo. The honoree for excellence in culinary arts is James Siabood. The honoree for excellence in journalism is Richard Louie. The honoree I'm Don Andrews with Look West. California is home to more than 6 million people of Asian and Pacific Islander descent, adding substantially to the rich tapestry of diversity in our state. Every May, the state legislature shines a spotlight on some of the success stories from the API communities during a ceremony to celebrate Asian Pacific Islander Heritage Month. We want to uplift role models for the next generation of not just Asian American Californians, but all Californians and all Americans, and really show what people can do. Assemblymember David Chu, co-chair of the Asian Pacific Islander Legislative Caucus and master of ceremonies for the evening banquet to celebrate the honorees, sat down with three of them to talk about their successes, challenges facing the API communities, and the importance of celebrating API heritage. Good evening. We are with the Look West podcast. Uh, Tonight we're in... California State Capitol in Sacramento. Uh, the noise you're hearing in the background is the preparation for the seventh annual Gala Awards Dinner of the Joint Asian Pacific Island Legislative Caucus. Uh, we are here celebrating the best and the biggest talents in the API community as part of May API Heritage Month. I'm here, uh, by the way, I should say, I'm David Chu. I'm chair of the API Legislative Caucus. I represent San Francisco. We have three amazing guests with us today. Our first guest is James Siaboot. He was born in Thailand, raised in Oakland, California, and is the chef proprietor of Kumi, the only Michelin-starred restaurant in Oakland. Uh, he has also been responsible for a number of amazing restaurants in the Bay Area, was named Best New Chef in 2010 by Food & Wine magazine. James, great to have you here tonight. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. We are also joined by someone who is part of the crazy rich Asian world. Adele Lim was born in Malaysia. Uh, She started her Hollywood career with Xena, Warrior Princess. Uh, She's known for writing on TV shows such as One Tree Hill, uh, Starcross, and other shows. But most importantly, for our purposes tonight, uh, we all love her because she was a screenwriter for the amazing 2018 movie Crazy Rich Asians. Adele, hello. Hi, thanks for having me here. And uh, our third guest is someone who is a far better journalist than I am. Uh, He has had a career that has spanned three decades. Decades focused on politics and breaking news. Currently an anchor at MSNBC and NBC News. He has covered many of the network's breaking stories. Uh, he's also the first Asian American male in the United States to anchor a daily national cable network news program. Richard Louie, how are you? Uh, David, good to be here. And I should mention that all three of these individuals are going to be awarded tonight for excellence in the culinary arts, excellence in entertainment and excellence in journalism. Let's get right to a conversation. We are here to celebrate the best API leaders and voices uh, that we have in California. Tell us, uh, James, a little bit about how your background influences what it is that you do. Uh, My background, um, first of all, being a restaurant kid, you know, in Asian in general, we treasure food, you know, heavily in, in our culture. And it's a common thread like you know we a lot of first business owners who are asian americans are sometimes like restaurants and being a restaurant kid and you know i you know washing pots and pans as in elementary school to pursuing a career in cooking 
which you know my parents understood, but I'm pretty sure they didn't like so much. <laughs> but um, but I, I, I love doing it, and I got into it and saw there was a future for it, other than you know just a mom and pop restaurant and you know glamorous chefs wearing toques and beautiful stainless steel kitchens and totally got me geeked out. And you know my parents didn't understand, but um, but now like you know looking back at it it was like the best thing i've done for myself mm. and back then growing up in the cooking world i didn't have any asian chef role models um martin was one of them ming sai was one of them um but i think now like such with the emerging uh young asian chefs now actually cooking food of their heritage it's a beautiful thing in the last two three years you know filipino cuisines come up and uprise people interpreting um, individuality of modernizing Vietnamese food, mm. Thai food, and sometimes now going deeper than that, like regional, you know, regional Thai food or regional Chinese food, and um, and I'm just great to be part of that so-called movement of like young chefs who can be, you know, second-generation Asian Americans are looking back like, hey, this, you know, people say we are what we eat, but mm. We also, we are what we cook. And I, I'm seeing that a lot in the media and the press and it's being recognized and celebrated. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. I want to pick up on this theme of uh, you entering into a field that uh, Asian kids didn't necessarily enter into. I think this is probably true for all of our guests tonight. Adele, I'm going to ask you, did you always think you were going to be a screenwriter? How did you, at what point did you decide to break into Hollywood and become part of that entertainment world? Well, I knew I always wanted to write, and my uh, Chinese-Malaysian parents basically told me writers make no money at all and said that my only option probably would be to uh, be an ad copywriter. And I spent one summer doing creative pitches selling baby formula when I realized this was not the life I wanted. I don't think I knew screenwriting was an option. Um, I came to college, um, and I went to college in Boston, and there was a cute white boy who lived on the floor downstairs who said, you know what, after graduation, I'm going to drive to LA and try to work as a TV writer. No clue that that was an option, and I thought it sounded like the best thing ever. So got in the car, had zero money, and um, no networking skills, barely knew the culture. I was in the country for maybe a year and a half and got right into it. Um, so that was, that was my start. You know, Richard, when I uh, learned about the fact that you were the first Asian-American male to anchor uh, a daily national cable network news program, it reminded me of a lot of us in politics who were breaking in for the first time. Like you. Like all of us. <laughs> David How setting historical precedents politically in San Francisco and the state of California. We're here to talk about you, brother. No, but what I, <laughs> we're all here together. This is this is a this is a, a verbal hug. What I'd love to know is just how did you aspire to do something that had never seen someone of your face, your background? Uh, how did you break into it? How did you overcome uh, these barriers? So you know this. Um, you just have a passion to do whatever you want to do, and then it happens. Um, that was not necessarily my goal when I first became a journalist. Just like when you decided. You know, politics is important to me. I want to be part of the solution. I want to be engaging. I want to collaborate, right? I, I want to think of ways that have not been thought about before. Um, I, you know, came from business. I moved over to journalism. That was that whole idea of, hey, let's just throw everything out the window. Let's, let's try something different. In, in your background, for those who know David, 
could have gone anyway. He decides, you know, I'm going to do this in politics. I'm going to be historic. I'm going to do something great for a town that I love. I've been all over. I know you're a Midwesterner, which means that you have a good, a good soul. Um, I went to Michigan, and for those who are listening to the podcast, go blue. Um, that, that was the whole idea. I, I don't think that it was necessarily in the crosshairs, but at the end of the day, when I was looking for, like James and Adele was saying, you know, are there mentors, mentees that, even mentees of mentors that you could go to who went through a process? I couldn't find one necessarily. Um, it was frustrating at one point, but the 80% of that whole discussion is that I'm just really glad that, you know, we can now, like on this small table we're on right now, David, talk about this issue and that we have made it past that point. I want to talk a little bit about what sort of barriers that all of you faced given that you were first in your field, but also what did your background lend to whatever industry and, and career you've been in to, to give you an advantage? And James, maybe I'll start with you. Uh, I think it's persistent hard work ethic. Um, you know, work with very little and be grateful for what you have. You know, come from a Buddhist household and, and you just put your head down, you grind it out, you know, and then... Um, sometimes it's 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 bad, but it's you go home. It's it's very very rewarding. Um, like today, receiving the award, like I never thought like cooking food would be, <laughs> you know, would affect so many people on so many levels. Um, but I think it's just the hard work ethic. You know, like our parents in Thailand working on the rice fields, and they brought that here. That same mentality of. Um, yeah, keep keep your head down, keep keep pushing, and you know don't get distracted. And yeah, it probably doesn't hurt that there are incredible Asian cuisines that the American public hasn't been introduced to that you're helping to uh, to bring to the public. Yeah, it's for sure. It's um, but but it's also it's different because the expression of who we might be or anybody might be now used to, used to be politics, used to be media, used to be business, community. Now that we're talking about culinary expression of what we might be as a as a space, as a, a segment of any population. I mean, that's what you represent, James. And yeah, that's, I think that's, that's kind of amazing. I mean, I think like I always, I always viewed like food as like an international language, you know. Everyone's like, like salt and sweetness, everyone understands that. So I think like food is a great introduction to get people to at least have a dialogue about a culture. Uh, it's kind of like the gateway. It's like, oh, I've never had say Lao food before let's go try it I'm like wow this is different this is delicious where is Laos <laughs> on the map I've never heard of this country so it's you know that's that's the thing about fascinating about food <laughs> Richard is raising his hand he knows where it is on the map um, you know Adele I want to ask you uh, it took 25 years after Joyla Club before we finally saw a mm-hmm. blockbuster Hollywood <laughs> film that featured our faces our stories um, you're in a field that has been notoriously, as it might be said, hashtag Oscar so white. Uh, I'm curious about your perspective of kind of toiling away in the trenches and what was that like? What were the barriers that you saw, but what gave you your shot at breaking through? Um, well, this is also tied to your first question of, you know, what is it about um, the way we grew up and where we grew up that was a barrier or maybe an advantage? And it's been an interesting trajectory because in the beginning, Um, I viewed it much more as a barrier and an obstacle because I was working in television, which is the ultimate insider um, sport. 
uh, you need to have you know an inside look at the culture. I didn't share the same pop culture references. You know, um, I'd had to, I'd have to shake down all my white friends to you know talk about like you know Saved by the Bell. What is this? Um, and and also I think you know after 16 years of uh, writing for network primetime one-hour dramas, I ran uh, writers rooms. I ran a show. Um, but the whole time, I never had the opportunity to write for lead characters or even supporting leads that at all resembled me or shared my experiences or my culture. And it really wasn't until this movie where I got to dip into it. And it was, I didn't have to put my experiences through this prism to make it translate to a white mainstream audience. And that was a first for me. And I think after having a taste of that, um, you know, it's hard to go back. And again, not to say that, you know, you can only write about your culture, but neither should you be defined and hemmed in by it. You know, Richard, one thing that's interesting about your background is just uh, your grandfather's story mm. and the fact that he was a paper son. Uh, and for those of us who are listening, paper sons are first-generation immigrants who may not have had the right paperwork at the time when they immigrated. Um, they might be considered undocumented today. Uh, but but today we've got the grandson of that paper son who uh, is a major, you know, has been major uh, anchoring of, of cable news networks. Can you talk about how your background influences how you think about your job and your role and your responsibility as someone in media. Yeah, I mean, David, um, when I think about my grandparents, uh, my grandpa and my grandma who came here illegally, um, it's something that took a long time to accept and actually understand. Uh, it happened after I did a story on CNN about immigration in America. And we went to a break. And I sat there during the break, and I was shuffling my papers. And I said, wait, hang on a second. That's right. My grandparents uh, came here illegally because the name on the tombstone says Wong, but my last name's Louie. And I remember that conversation with my papa. I was like, hey, Dad, why? I know we're cheap because we're Asian (laughs) folks. But we did not buy a tombstone that has the wrong name. And then he did not know that. This man was 45 years old when he learned this. And he talked to his oldest sister, and he came back, and this is actually during the, you know, the uh, unveiling of the tombstone, and he said, uh, I found out that they didn't want to tell any of the other kids, all, there were 13 of them, um, and my dad's like way down in the pecking order, like number eight, and he, and he found out very late in life that he was indeed the son of two immigrants that came to America illegally. Illegal immigrants, undocumented immigrants, all the words you want to use. And I think that has been a long journey for me. And, you know, Adele, you were sort of reflecting on that evolution of being able to express our story and knowing our story. That was one of those seminal moments when I was sitting there during the break and I said, oh, you know what? I am part of this story that we're talking about across the country. Specifically, we're here in California. It is, this is a California story. That Golden Gate was the entry point for so many stories like mine that are still stories today. Hmm. Let me, uh, I know our time is getting short, but let me ask one final question about sort of the future of where we're going. We're here celebrating the amazing accomplishments of the three of you and others and how far our community has come. It's, uh, it's amazing. This is the week that is the 150th anniversary of the Transcontinental Railroad, which was built by first-generation Asian immigrants who experienced a lot of discrimination. And many years later, we're here with the highest number of Asian legislators in the history of our state uh, and the diversity of talent and leadership that we have. 
What do you see as the future for, uh, for Asian America? And if you could give advice to folks who want to do what you do, uh, who are of Asian American background, what would that advice be? It's sort of a two-part question. Mm. Um, free, well, for all? free for free all. Free for all. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Free for all. Hey, no, y'all go well, first. Well, first of all, I just want to say, you know, whether it's Richard, um, you know, you or David or um, James, just being the visible faces of what you do has had a tremendous impact on the community. I think the, you know, the line of, you know, if you can't see it, you can't be it. And I think one of the challenges that's specific to the AAPI community is this, which is culturally, um, you know, I've, I've uh, mentored a lot of young writers through these um, programs. And the one thing we have to work on is this hesitancy to speak about themselves or to talk about their families and to pump themselves up or to feel like they are deserving um, or worthy of being in the space that they inhabit. And I feel like that's a, you know, that's a struggle that um, many young up-and-coming people, need, uh, AAPI people need to get past of saying, you know, no, I deserve to be here. I have a point of view that should be heard. I have something to bring to the table and, you know, and um, I get to say it as loud and as brashly as anyone else because it's not the quiet receding violets who get any attention, you know, whether it's in entertainment and politics, um, in whatever arena you're in. Um, I would just encourage them to just really put yourselves out there, not be afraid, not be afraid to fail and not be afraid to look foolish and, you know, not be afraid to look like a damn fool because that's the only way you get anywhere. Yeah. I mean, we, can uh, all, we can all take that, not look like a damn fool. That's probably true for all of our fields. <laughs> I think most of it for me is like taking ownership. You know, um, I, I went through it myself where I needed to conform, be in a populist group to quote unquote survive my school years and yeah. I'm being made fun of. But uh, taking ownership of your heritage and celebrating it, I think it's easier for you to do now. Um, people are more well-traveled. Social media is a great tool. The internet, you know, and I think it gives us tools to say, hey, you know, I'm this ethnicity. I'm going to own it. You like it or not. I'm going to celebrate it. It's okay. Like, you know, have that courage. Like, either you're with me because, or without me, there's someone out there can relate. And... I need to put it out there because, you know, it takes one to, you know, get followers, you know, and my, when my book came out and I had so many, I talk about my upbringing, you know, making fun of myself, stereotypes, whatever, you know, stinky fridges, stinky, you know, <laughs> fish sauce, clothes, lunch, yep. clothes, whatnot. And the, the thing that made me feel good about um, the emails and responses I get is like, wow, like I shared the same story and I'm 10 years older than you, but we never spoke about it. I'm like, why not? It's like, well, cause it's embarrassing. It's like, we lived it. It's, I think it's sometimes you need to kind of laugh about yourself sometimes, you know, and it just brings out like the true genuine yourself. And that's what people want is like something genuine. And just to jump in on what he's saying, you know, like what you're doing with food and what you're doing with your book, it's just different avenues for people who don't know much about us or our history or our cultural background, you know, for them to get a glimpse into it and be intrigued and, you know, say like, what's that? Or even um, cultures who are, you know, people not of our culture, um, you know, I think they can pick up on similarities, whether it's our familial dynamics or our food, you know, that there is this mainstream monolithic culture that's been dominating for the, you know, however many decades. And just seeing a different perspective, a different story, I feel like people are drawn to it. And, it, you know, it just flushes us out. It makes us, it makes us individuals. It makes us people. Mm -hmm. 
Richard, last word on the future for Asian America, and what would you say to future Richard Lewis? Holy Hannah, what are you asking, David? <laughs> would you like me to predict a stock market as well? Predict away. Yeah, why not? Um, you know, I think there's uh, some thoughts, David, that uh, number one, you know, because as I remember when I was a teenage kid with my Depeche Mode hair and pants. Um, I had the same thing. Yeah, we so got fun. it. I, I saw your pictures. Um, <laughs> you know, it, is that you want to swing for the fences. Right? You want to get those home runs, right? And I realize those home runs are super important. But now being 125 years old, I also understand that you know, we get things done by singles, a lot of singles. And then we get the home runs along the way. So go for the home runs, everybody. Go for the home runs in, in the community. But also don't forget the singles. And that would be the second one. The third one is you know, as we work together, uh, in the AAPI community, outside the AAPI community, is really to find the, the spaces where we super understand the differences so that we understand how we're the same. And today, and I've, I've obviously followed your work since you made history in San Francisco as board president, in the way that you have created a coalition and, and collaboration. And that clearly, as you know, uh, in your experience, has worked across and outside of the AAPI community. And that is the third point that you live through and you understand about the way we, we can take care of and lift up and hold up and push up spaces like the API space. Well, we are here with three individuals who I want to run for office, even though you are receiving awards in excellence for journalism. Richard Louie, thank you for being with us. Adele Lim, uh, out of Crazy Rich Asians and out of Hollywood. We're honoring her tonight here in our state capitol for excellence in entertainment. And James Siaboot, uh, who we're honoring for excellence in culinary arts. We are here in our state capitol in California at the 7th Annual Gala Awards Dinner for the Joint API Legislative Caucus. want to thank you for your leadership. Look forward to following your careers many years to come. And maybe in 10 years, we'll do another podcast and uh, see how far you've pushed things. Thank 10 you for years? Being, <laughs> thank you for being on Look West Podcast. To see and hear more from the API Heritage Month honorees, check out the highlight video on the API Caucus website at apicaucus.legislature.ca.gov. The Look West podcast is produced by the California Assembly Democrats. Please subscribe and rate this episode wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And when you think of California and politics, remember to look west. <laughs>